Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the first episode of The Mentor for 2019, and I'm Mark Boris. In this episode, I'm joined by David and Scott Shedden, who are from the well-known Aussie furniture business, Oz Design. Now, I know this business. I've been watching it since the 80s, I reckon, and um, I'm really interested to hear what they've got to say. They have more than 30 furniture stores around the country and have been going for 40 years this year, so it's their birthday. David and Scott are the second generation to run the family business after their uncle and father first bought into it decades ago. So they've always been around the furniture industry, and it's going to be really interesting to hear how they've tried to evolve the business from where it started. I want to know how they make it work as a big family business, the challenges they've had to overcome to help the Oz Design business run smoothly. So let's get into it. Dave and Scott, welcome to The Mentor. Thank you for having us. Now, I've got to get this off my chest because when I saw the briefing last night, I sort of remember in the 80s a bloke who I'm pretty sure he told me he set up Oz Design. I, I want to know if it was your father or uncle or whatever. Um, his name was John. You know, he was out there sort of guy. He was... Uh, no rules type dude, and uh, a lot of times that's the sort of part of the DNA of a, an entrepreneur. Is that your father or uncle? No, he's um, he's neither. He was uh, the original founder of Oz, which was unrelated to the family, but uh, we came in about four or five years after it was started. Okay, so there was, so there was a guy called John. There was. Who set up Oz Design. Yes. Was it called Oz Design by him? Because that's the name I thought he told me he set up because he, he was involved in Freedom. Yes, yeah, so originally started Freedom. Right. Uh, once he moved on from Freedom and sold that company, um, he decided to go and start another furnished company. He could only open one store. There was a What under his restraint agreement? I believe so, yeah. So he opened a company called the Great Australian Design Company. Right. Which was later name changed to Oz Design Furniture. Right, okay. So, and your family uh, sort of took over from where he left off, so to speak. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, our uncle, Warwick, was one of the first franchisees. So, there was three main stores early days, and he owned one of them near the city. And then uh, he was owning it with another guy who was not our father. But after the three stores, and then John Locke decided to, to sell out of the business, Warwick and our dad then decided to come in and actually buy the franchise all company. Right, okay. Yeah, because he, he was a good guy. I remember him. Um, he was pretty out there, but he was he was as wild as hell. But yeah. um, but he was cool. Like, uh, you know, but he's sort of like a, a typical 80s guy. And I have to say, I grew up in the 80s too. Well, I grew up way before that, but um, <laughs> but I was around the 80s and it was a different environment than, to what it is today. And uh, I guess some of the stuff you could get away with in those days, you wouldn't get away with it today. Well, <laughs> mobile phones wouldn't let you get away with it. Yeah. You're two young blokes, two brothers. 
You both got a beard. Let me just describe you. Um, so we drop five years as soon as we shave these off. <laughs> yeah. So and, I, and there's a lot of people wear beards for that reason to make yourself a little bit older. Um, I don't know. I guess in your age, you're in your twenties. Yes, late twenties. Yeah, yeah. Late twenties. Um, you're the older one. Yep. Scott. Just. Dave's the younger one. Yes. Um, but these two guys look like they could be twins, except one's slightly larger than the other <laughs> one. Um, but nonetheless, could be twins. Uh, but I've never seen, like, you look like you both come from exactly one spot. There's no mm. mistake in the fact that you are the two brothers. Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. And, uh, and young and both sitting there with linen shirts and my look at things and sleeves rolled up. I like that. You know, bullshit. Yeah. No, we go, we go casual. We prefer to be casual. We're not corporate. Not a very corporate family yes. business. So tell me now, um, this is a family business, obviously. Um, is your uncle still involved or is just your dad now? No, unfortunately, Warwick's not involved. Uh, he unfortunately passed of a sudden heart attack, uh, heart attack back in two thousand one, uh, while holidaying with his family. So that was quite a sudden shock to, particularly our dad Neil and our family. Um, he was the the front of the business, I guess. So he, like from a marketing point of view, sales. He, he was our managing director. Yeah. Um, and our father was actually sort of just behind the scenes, a silent investor. Um, he had other interests he was pursuing at the time. So when, yeah, unfortunately Warwick passed, Dad was forced to step in, take over the, the running of the business, and then that was back in 2001. So we're talking, yeah. we're talking about 17, 18 years ago. Yes. When you would have been like 10. Yes, okay. so we yeah. were still in primary school. Yeah, school. So yeah. you two kids sort of brought up with a silver spoon in your mouth, like where'd you go to school? No, What's the deal? no, not really. We actually grew up on our family farm out in the Hawkesbury, so northwestern Sydney, suburb called Wilberforce. Um, so we spent... Our first twelve years of life out there, going to you know public school, playing in the dirt, running around. With and cows. then what happened? What happened in the next twelve years? And then high school, we went to high school up on the North Shore. Um, so the same school our older brother and dad and uncle went to, um, to Knox. Um, and we moved into um, North Sydney, lived there, and that was sort of a, a big. That was actually a big step for us, coming from a farm life to an apartment life. And then we actually moved back to Rouse Hill. Um, yeah, so it's a bit. It's a little bit of a. Our Rouse Hill office currently is actually the old family home. So uh, when mum and, well, when dad was 24, mum and dad actually bought this property out in Rouse Hill and then they built a family home on it. And we have two older siblings, uh, quite a bit older. So our eldest brother's 39 Mm. and our sister's 37. So then there was a bit of a, a gap there. But they actually grew up in this, our current head office at Rouse Hill. And then by the time Scott and I came along, we'd actually moved out to the family farm a little bit further west. So, yeah, as Scott was saying, we ended up moving into Rouse Hill for a little mm-hmm. bit when we were probably 20-ish. Yes, out of school. Were you always going to be part of the business? Uh, I don't think so. Mum and Dad didn't push us into it at all, but we had always grown up talking about it, knowing about it, working there in holidays. Like I, I have memories of three or four head offices ago running around the little showroom stuff playing tip with Dave, you know, around the furniture. Um, so we've, it's always sort of been part of us. Our family dinners are talking about Oz half the so time. So when did you decide, how long have you been in the business? How long have you guys been actually working in the We're business? both straight out of school. So I'm 11 years. And I just did 10 years the other day. So the day, did you complete year 12? Yes. yes. Yeah, so you completed year 12 at Knox? Yep. Knox? Yes. Yeah. And then you left school and there was no discussion about doing something, becoming a dentist or something? You just, uh, <laughs> we could have. No, yeah. we could have. But no, but there's no discussion about that. We both have a, a genuine interest, I think, in business in general, yeah. as yep. opposed to going into specific industries. Um, the fact that we went into furniture retail just happened to be because that's what we were fortunate enough to be born into, I guess. So no, but 
as Scott was saying, mum and dad never pushed us to go into the business, but mm. I think we just had that genuine interest and it was something that was definitely easy to get out of bed for in the morning, that's for sure. Because, look, I know fuck all about furniture. Like, I, know, I don't know the first thing about Beyonce. Like, <laughs> and I, and I, I, my, just my gut feeling is there's a tough... But my, my gut feeling is there's a tough business, but yeah. I don't know. But for two young blokes to sort of say, well, I have an interest in being in the business of furniture, which is my family's business, mm. that's, that's a... To me, this seems fairly courageous given where the world is today with, you know, um, the ability to buy. I looked something up on, online the other day, the amount of places to sell lounges or sofas, mm. it was mind-boggling for me. Yeah. Um, so why did you do this? I mean, like, it's 10 years ago. Like, it's... Well, it was, it was a great opportunity, so... But what, what was the opportunity? I mean, apart from the fact that you go work for your dad. So what was the opportunity? Do you see it as... Just to get straight into work. So um, neither of us went straight into uni. We did sort of a a diploma just to do a little bit of extra training. But we just got straight in and started working, which is what we want to do. What did you do? What was the first thing We started in accounts. So first day in, we started... Not not by choice on the side. Yeah, yeah, not by choice, but because our dad said, I want you to learn how to understand accounts, read a balance sheet, profit and loss, cash flow. See where the money's going. Yeah, because money drives a business at the end of the day. So he put us in there for a, a year each, just doing the, the At the same basics. time? At the same time? No, so okay. I'm one year ahead of yeah, Dave. Yeah, I was a year oh, behind. Okay, okay, so okay. I finished 07, Dave finished 08, and then so I was sort of one year. And then when I left accounts, Dave, he took my role. And, and like, because I mean, this is interesting for people who run businesses listening who've got Children coming through, through you know, into mm. their business, and, and by the way, this is an important point too. Like, I mean, I think for our listeners, it's an important point for them to consider. Mm. You know, um, the, the process of succession. In other words, I own a business. Then, what does the succession look like? In other words, who's going to take over the business for me in due course? Yeah. Um, do you do it inter vivos? What I mean by that is during my lifetime, or do I wait to the day I die? Mm. And obviously, your dad's decided to do it during his lifetime. Yes. Your mum and dad to decide mm-hmm. yes, to do yes. it during their lifetime, which is one way of doing it. And they've molded you, I guess, to because they can, you have much more control when you're a parent and you get a kid straight out of school at 18, 19 mm. and put them straight into the business because you can control their or and or mould their learning about the business. You can actually get them to learn what you want them to learn. Mm-hmm. may not necessarily be perfect for the kid, but this is something you guys experienced. I mean, how do you feel about that? I mean, do you, did, what, do you think that was an effective way for succession of you into the business, getting straight out of school, putting your accounts, then take me through the journey uh, for sure for me um i watched all of my mates go to university i went straight into this business obviously and i found my knowledge progressing much quicker than what i believe i could have learned at university not saying that i was very fortunate to be able to go into a role where i'm involved in strategic decisions and i'm able to look at the accounts of the business and anything to do with leasing and, and new stores and, and retail just in general uh we we're very fortunate in that but i Look, our parents actually would have liked us to probably go to uni, but again, they were they were pretty supportive and they didn't force us to do that. It was because you wanted to earn a wage. Well, you got away with it. Oh, yeah, I know. I know, I know so I, I've, I've actually gone and done a uni degree. Right. So, yeah, I don't. I, you're lucky one. Did I, you work part time in the business? So you, yeah, when I was like 23, they sort of said time for to go to uni. I was like, why well, couldn't you have told me this when I was 18 and done it the normal way? You know, 18, 19, 20, have do the uni life. But no, I'll do it later. So I started full time uni, full time. Uh, and continue full-time working. I did a Bachelor of Business degree um, at UTS. Yep. And then that was just too chaotic doing both full-time. And so I dropped back to part-time uni and got it finished, finished a couple of years ago. Um, so it was great to get that done. But as, as Dave was saying, 
the things you actually learn in the business while yeah. working and much more leaving relevant. the business yeah. is so much more relevant. I found myself actually getting through uni more on the things I learnt mm. through working and yeah. the practical side of it than what I'd learned in a textbook or a case study. Or, yeah, or it was the exact same for me. Straight out of uni, we actually, I did part-time, as Scott was saying, we went to a business school and I did two advanced diplomas of business marketing and management and I found that any anything that I was doing for uni was actually something that I'd learnt through Oz mm. as opposed to what uh, I was actually learning at, at college. So um, I just I ended up not being able to see the value in that sort of after-school learning. And just learning on the job is just so beneficial. Well, I think that's probably right. I mean, I think that's right you know, given that uh, um, I'm a professor and a lecturer at the University of New South Wales in the Australian <laughs> yeah. School of Business. Um, You've got to push it. I, I, no, I don't. I think that's right that... Um, what you say is right in relation to certain degrees. Yes. yes. Um, so obviously we're not, diplomas. We're, not, you know, we're not doctors. Yeah. yeah. So can't learn law on the go. You know. Well, I, yeah, and I guess in terms of business degrees or equipping someone to take on the roles that you're taking on now in the business, mm-hmm. in an in an academic sense, my view is that the degree coursework is probably no longer relevant mm. or as relevant, mm. and there's just too much bullshit in there. Whilst I'm sitting here talking to you, I can see young Lachlan over there who's our intern thinking to himself, fuck, have I now uh, gone and enrolled? He's doing a law degree in journalism and uh, <laughs> thinking to himself, have I now enrolled in something <laughs> completely doing? irrelevant? Well, to some extent, mate, yes, you have. Um, not in the legal part because you have no, to do all definitely. the legal shit. But, uh, but in terms of the, 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 the practical skills, skills. So you don't get any skills at university. So, Mm. I mean, for those people listening, there's no skill. They don't Mm. give you a skill. What you're talking about here is the skills you get from working versus the knowledge you get from studying. Yes, true. Different things. Two very different things. Skills can earn you money and skills are relevant to your job. Yep. Knowledge is sort of some parts are usable immediately, some parts you'll use in 10, 15 years time Mm. and some parts you'll build on and become sort of an expert in some area, maybe one day. Yep. So the the issue around, see what young Lachlan over here, if he becomes a lawyer like his dad is, um, he will pick up his skills on the job, and that is the ability to convince a court that he's correct mm-hmm. um, or to convince first and foremost his client that he can win the case. Mm. That's a skill. Mm. Yep. But that's a person, personal skill. But he, when he gets into a courtroom, he's got to have vast knowledge. For sure. Yours in his vast understand. knowledge, mm. okay, about anything that could come up because anything could come up at any time yeah. in any particular moment. What you guys are doing and in people who are thinking about going to university because I want to go into my dad or my mum's business, um, you want to think about it hard because, you you know, you're going to spend a whole lot of money and you're going to owe a, potentially could owe a whole lot of money to the government through yep. the HEX scheme, and which, by the way, which they do take out from you once you start earning yes. some stuff. Yep, yep. And that's only recently dropped to 55 grand. So, you know, you start paying pretty quick. Pretty quick, yeah. So you want to think about what knowledge will I get out of that university degree that will be able to add, be adjunctive towards my skills that I'm going to get from the business or that I will need in the business. That's really the question. Mm. And I have a strong view that, unfortunately, and I teach in this department, um, commerce degrees, business degrees, et cetera, um, to some extent are becoming irrelevant. 
pretty generic. Yeah, they are very generic and to some extent they have to be and I think that we need to speed the time it takes up to yeah. get the degree. So it shouldn't take three years. It should be uh, You should be able to do it in 18 months. Yep. There, and that would be, for my money, would be changing a lot of the core subjects but also eliminating a lot of the shit subjects that you yep. don't, don't need. You don't completely need. agree. And uh, getting it done fast. Mm. 18 months, boom, done, finished. Get, back, get, get out into the degree. Yeah. I mean, that's why online degrees are probably a bit more relevant because you can just keep studying and staying going yeah, through Christmas. Quickly, you want, yeah. All these semesters, they have breaks over the time off. It's just a waste of time for me. Yeah. And that's an interesting discussion, but it's not really anything about Oz. So I, I do want to get into this whole process of what it's like to be the kids of a family going into your job because I've experienced this. Now, my dad was, didn't own the business, but my dad worked in the business as a manager in a business in a factory out of the west, at the west suburbs, southwest suburbs. And um, my experience going into work there when I was 16 or 17 was that you actually, against the other staff, people think you're a bit of a, a knob, you know? Yeah, they sort yeah, of think, uh, sure. who's this guy, kid, coming in there? I, and for me, I ended up getting a stink and my dad fired me. <laughs> I got a stink one of the apprentices. Um, and I didn't talk to my dad for weeks. And, um, and in the end, he eventually explained to me, he said, oh, I couldn't really well fire the bloke you had a fight with. He mm. said, because we would have had a shutdown of the factory. Yeah. So it was a trade you. union environment. So, um, you know, it was a metal workers union. So yeah. he said, so you had to go. So... And by the way, it was bad judgment from my point of view anyway. I let the guy get under my skin. But how did you guys deal with this? Or were you confronted with this? Did you ever sort of experience this sort of process? I don't think too much in our business. We're a very casual, family-orientated business. And I think that stems a lot from all of our family being involved in the business and trickling down everywhere. So I think, yeah, you, you can have issues. And of course, People will think that. Um, there's no doubt about it. And fair enough, you know, we did come straight into the business, but we we worked our way up, you know. We we work hard, we know what we're doing, and, you know, we, we've had to prove ourselves we don't have jobs in the business that we're So what do you think about this concept of nepotism? I mean, like, I mean, it's not, you know, nepotism has a bad sound, but what would you do if you were parents? Would you think to yourself, I've got to protect my kid on the way through here, or would you think to yourself, no, just throw him to the walls? I see what happens. He needs to stand on his own two feet or her mm. own two feet. Mm. I mean, definitely, as Scott was saying, there was a, a little bit of, you know, people are going, we know why you're in that position. Yeah, we know yeah, why totally. you're here. There's probably someone else that could have been a better for that particular role. But to shelter them, I think, would be the wrong way to do it. Just let them work, let them learn, and I guess prove themselves. Um, and provided the, I guess, that the kid isn't acting arrogant in any way, I think arrogance would be a, a bad way to, to go and to think that they're entitled to be in that position. So um, I mean, mm. what, what what did your dad do? What did he say? Did he counsel you? Or no, your it was actually, I, I think they actually stepped back a bit. So we have a, a managing director who's uh, external to the family but is a minor shareholder and director, and he's he's kind of, dad, mum and dad have kept it at arm's length a little bit, and he's been our, uh, I guess, business you know, mentor sort of thing, mm-hmm. for lack yeah. of a better word. So he's actually managed well, that's us a great as we word. Grow. Mentor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought, I thought you might like that one. Um, so he's as we've gone through the business, we've mainly dealt with him in a in a work sense, in a business sense, and not so much mum and dad. So that's a few degrees of separation is nice, and he's kept us on the straight. So did you, did you? Sorry to interrupt, you, Scott, but did you think to yourself, okay, was it a conscious thought process? I mean, you went through a, went through a good school. I mean, you know, Knox Grammar is a good school. Yeah, and um, they sort of. They teach you a lot of skills for whether they purposefully teach you or whether or not you just pick up the skills, but they teach you a lot of. There's a lot. It's a maturity that comes out of place like that around yes. business. Yeah, I mean, that's there's a, a maturity relative to other places where you might get educated. Mm-hmm. And um, 
Did you ever think to yourself, well, what's the dude's name? What's the manager? Michael. Okay. Did you ever think to yourself, well, Michael's the guy. I've got to work, work with him. Um, I know him. I'm going to manage upwards and I know how to deal with this guy. I mean, did you consciously think to yourself, I've got to play the game here? I mean, how did you think, Scott? Did you tell me? What did you think when you first started? Like, i got this bloody, my parents own the business. i got this guy. He's in the way. Well, no, 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 <laughs> not no, not no, 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 no. Here's Michael. He's the manager director. He's yeah. the guy. Yeah. Um, did you think to yourself, consciously, I, I just got to work with him and learn from him and do what he tells me to do and use him as a mentor or don't use him or, you know, accept him as a yeah, mentor? or 100%. Because... Consciously? Consciously. Well, probably not consciously. Right. But he... Uh, our parents are actually probably property development real estate background. So business wasn't sort of their forte, um, but dad having to take over the business has, you know, learned a lot and now, you know, is, is excellent. Um, but Michael was always the one that we dealt with and we looked up to and taught us. Um, but as to... It wasn't a conscious decision, though. It was just like just no. went, you rolled into it. Yeah, I think so. So it's probably as a result of the nurturing your family gave you as you, as you were growing up mm. and, your, and your school environment. As I said, that, that a certain level of maturity comes out of those types of schools. Mm. I'm not necessarily saying those... Um, is Knox a GPS or a... a CAS. CAS. Yeah. So those CAS, GPS schools, you know, they. I'm not a big fan of them because I don't think they teach enough knockabout stuff. And but, probably right there. But, <laughs> but there is a high level of maturity that students get out of there mm. if they go into businesses like you're talking about. Yes. Yeah, it's different. Like, f- because we're second generation into this business, uh, that entrepreneurial mindset to grow the business has already been done. Yeah. So... We come in with a different mindset of cool. We have this, you know, pretty well sized business. Got and ticking along really you well. You understand structure. Yeah, we understand because you got that out of school. Yeah, and, and compliance. Yeah, but, but without being a suck. Yeah, you and know, like it's sort of like that's what those sorts of schools deliver. I think. Yeah, you also learn to respect. Yeah, anyone yeah. who could teach you something. That's the yeah. structure. Yeah. You know, like you, you know, like assuming that Mike's a good guy. Oh, right? legend. Yeah. It, like therefore you will respect that individual, whereas the other school systems mm. tend to bring out, the people don't come over that necessarily without amount of structural respect and or, but at the same time you can get some wild bastards who come out of those environments. A bit more fight sort who, of thing. Totally, yeah. Who, yeah. Who, who are great on their own. Yeah. You know, and may well just, just may well create something brilliant. Mm. You know, so it's, it's quite an interesting, you know, to look at those processes because mm. you've got lots of parents li- listening to this and you've got lots of kids listening to this come out of both mm. the systems. Because I don't want a kid coming out of a system who's public school system, for example, saying, or a Catholic school system saying, well, these two dudes here, they came from Knox Grammar and of course, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Um, well, so, I'll tell you now because my kids went to both systems and, and I went to one of those systems. I didn't go to the Knox Grammar style, went mm. to the, Catholic school system where you know everyone was just kicking the shit out of each other, <laughs> but but what what I didn't learn yeah. is respect for structure, mm. yeah, and it took me ten fifteen years and lots of mistakes to work that stuff out. Mm. What I did learn though is how to fight for myself and how to make things happen. Yep, on my own. Yeah, so they're different skills, different skill sets, and uh, it'd be great if you could get a school that could do both. Um, yep. I, but I just don't think that works. But for parents and or kids, you're listening to this. Um, there's something to be learned. There are positives and negatives for both. both sides, all you need to understand is what you're going to get out of it, mm. which one you are. And as old, the famous old Jack Gibson go, uh, used to say, "Do you guys fo- follow rugby league?" A bit. Uh, yeah. yeah. Who's your team? 
Like, I'm, not, I'm not really into that. Ah, good man. <laughs> roosters. But uh, Jack Gibson, one of the greatest Roosters coaches of all time. Points over here. <laughs> but Jack Gibson, one is one of our greatest coaches and yeah. the Roosters. And Jack Gibson used to always say, and this is a, a good saying, and he borrowed it anyway from the United States, but you... What he used to say is you play to your strengths, but you practice your weaknesses. Yes. And it's important, therefore, in order to do that, you need to know what your strengths are and your weaknesses are, and mm-hmm. you need to candidly know it. Mm. And I guess you guys coming out of those school structures, you probably do know your weaknesses, but you also know your strengths. Mm. Sure. And you work to them. And I think your parents were very clever the way they just threw you in, just let you wander around and work it out for yourselves. Like, interestingly, all... So there's four of us kids, and we are all very different in our strengths and weaknesses, as you say. So, like, Dave is much more creative than I am. Um, I, I don't really have a, much of a creative bone in my body, but I am, I'm more systems and processes kind of guy. So we, we actually all have super different skill sets, um, and that with a business our size, it's really good, so we can all spread out into different areas that actually, one, we enjoy, and two, we're, we're good at. Um, so we find that works really well. So Dave's in product development, you know, designing and, and creating and our sofas. Well, you're going to stop here because we're going to go to the break and hear our sponsor. But I want to come back to that. I want to find out what you two do yep, yep. in the business. And I want to talk more about Oz, Great. Oz Design. Because I see them advertise. And uh, and I, I want to know whether they've changed from where I knew them in the 80s because I haven't paid much attention to them these days. Yep. Yeah. Hopefully I'm sure you have. <laughs> and, but I want to find out what the devolution was. So we just go to the break and we'll be straight back. Beautiful. Right. So I'm back with Dave and Scott, and they're from they're the, they're the kids sort of uh, now taking up the mantle at Oz Design, which is a furniture, furniture business. And we talked about this concept of, um, you know, how families or family owners of businesses um, – sort of groom their children into getting involved in an end or ultimately running the business. We talked about that and um, and I, I find that quite interesting and I, and I guess we had a little bit touched on things about schools and what schools, various schools do for you in terms of skill base and knowledge and whether you should go to university, et cetera, and whether that actually enhances your job when you're actually in business as opposed to being a doctor or a, or a dentist or something like that. But what I really want to talk about now in the second part is I want to sort of dig down as to what you two guys do in the joint. So, and 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 where has and who has taken Oz from where it was in the eighties when uh, John Locke first set it up? Um, and I soon recall in the eighties when it was first set up, it was a very furniture was really small and it was really cheap. And uh, the, I remember, I remember seeing some sofas. There was no depth to them. So think you'd have to sit up forward like you're on a toilet the or something. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and where is Oz today? And who's taken it there? And what's the evolution from where its early beginnings? And what's your role in it? So let's start off. What are your two roles today? Come on, Dave. Uh, I my day to day role is I'm the sofa buyer. So uh, I find or develop or, or source all of the sofas that we sell in our retail outlets. So is, and is, is the model of Oz design like um, Harvey Norman, for example, where you say to the sofa supplier or manufacturer, we'll give you a bit of space on the floor and um, we're not going to buy that sofa from you. If it sells, we get a percentage of the sale price. How does What's the Oz design model? Uh, so basically if we're buying from an external um, either a manufacturer, an Australian manufacturer or an external importer. We also have our own internal importer, which we could probably touch on later, but um, we basically just purchase for a wholesale price. So you buy the, so it's your item, it's your inventory? Yes. So we physically buy it into our, into our stock yep. and then it will sit on our floor 
and then we just sell to the customer. And whatever. what happens if it doesn't sell? What happens if you make a blue, you pick the wrong bloody shape? Which happens all the time. Wrong colours. Not all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no. a, by the way, anyone listening, is a, it happens all the time, so there's a big sale coming yeah. on the design <laughs> next week. No, so, I mean, you, you don't win them all, do you? So some, sometimes when we think something may sell and it doesn't sell, it's as easy as just selling it off. So... Um, we just move on. You we can't move. hand it back. You can't give it back to the manufacturer. No, so we, no don't, we don't buy anything on consignment or anything there's like no, that. There's no returns policy. Like this didn't sell. Take it back for you know no cost or whatever. No, a lot of our manufacturers, if we sent something back, they have no avenue to get rid of that. No, stuff. Right. and so it's custom made for us. A lot of the time. Oh, okay, so you, you guys, uh, you we will, usually develop. You, you say this is the design I want. Mm-hmm. Okay, because many that's the difference. Yeah. Okay, so a lot of clothing manufacturers in Australia used to do that many years ago, and what they used to do, and I, I, I had rag traders used to go off to Milan once or twice a year. And they go to Milan and they see what's selling in, in, in Europe, what are the latest fashions. They get, they'd buy an item, they'd buy 50, you know, items, you know, a shirt, a dress, a pair of trousers, a suit, you know, tie, whatever. And then they'd have to clip them and bring them back through customs in Australia. And they would put, and so they didn't get charged for bringing items in Australia, importing items. They had to clip them. And what I mean by this, like, Damage them slightly, mm-hmm. so they couldn't resell them, and they would they would then take that item that they found in Milan, and they because this was the latest thing that was selling. This is of course we're talking about fashion, um, and they would manufacture that in Australia. Do you guys, do you, Dave, go mm. off to see what's selling overseas, and then bring it back to Australia, or do you just know instinctively what's selling here? Uh, look, Australia is quite a long way behind Europe, um, so we are followers in, in terms, terms of, of the trends, trends, of right? Sofas and case goods. Um, Case so, goods, what's that? Uh, like uh, timber products. So dining right. tables, coffee right, tables, okay. yep, side yep. tables, ETs, all that. Uh, so we do travel to Asia a lot uh, to source products. So through our own importing company, which supplies the majority of Oz Design, that's we go to the factories and we go to the exhibitions in Asia and we source product from the factories and then we import that into Australia to sell. But how do you know if it's going to sell? I mean, what, I mean, are you looking We use at our best judgment, basically. But, but do you sit around looking through magazines all the time? Yeah, or are you, are yeah. you looking at what the Look competition is doing? Tell me, how, tell me about it. What do you do? What, what do you normally, ordinarily do if you're getting ready to make an order? Well, I guess after you've... We've been working in the furniture industry for, you know, 10 years now, so yep. we have a reasonable knowledge of what we believe may work or what's a bit too excessive. Um, so we can find elements of products in magazines, so... If we see an arm that we like or a base that we like, we can take that element and go and develop that sofa in a factory and then bring it into Australia. You never know if something's definitely going to sell. We've brought products in that we were just so confident were going to work and they didn't. So, but then and the opposite happens. And we've well. also brought in products that, you know, it were a bit of a risk. We're going, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's really deep. We have one sofa in particular, it's 140 centimeters deep. Um, the standard sofa is about 100 deep, so it's a lot deeper. Um, and funny enough, Scott and I both have one in our house. We sell stacks every single week, but a lot of our selection comes down to we move very quickly. Being a small private business, we can bring in a container or two of a product, put it onto five or six of our floors and give it a go. If it doesn't work, we sell it off and we move on to something else. We're always moving on to the next best thing. Okay, so can I, can I, okay, because I'm, I'm curious. So we're talking about product, yeah, and price. So yes. the product comes down to design and the functionality of the product. Yep. And then there's a the price. Yes. Where do you guys sit on both those? So um, are you trying to be the coolest, the trendiest, or are you trying to be functional? And where you sit on price? Look, we need to remain mass market, so we don't want to be um, too out there. And what does mass market mean? What's your demographic? 
Our, our core customer ranges from between about 25 years old to 60 years old and is mainly a female customer. We're a very female-oriented brand. And what does that mean then in terms of how you express that um, in your furniture? So we have softer tones. We have natural the, the, In terms fibers. of colours? Yeah, in terms of colours. We have natural fibres. Well, what um, does that mean, natural fibres? Uh, so if we have a, a fabric sofa, we'll tend to use linens or cottons right. or something that's more breathable as opposed to a polyester or uh, some sort of man-made synthetic. So uh, softer fabrics, um, different softer tones. Look, obviously we can't be fully no, no. female. No, totally, focused, I get that. Yeah. And what about in price point? Price point, I'd say we sit in the middle. Right. Yeah. Middle to and anywhere up. So was that I mean, like a, a two-seater sofa is what, 1500 bucks something? Is that, would that be middle? No, we, go, we could go cheaper than that, but we do have quite a, a variance. So we have some imported sofas yep. that we can bring in at a, a ripper price and get a lot of volume on it, get that out to the customer for a, a really strong price point. Um, the furniture these days, people, not everyone's buying a sofa to keep it for the next 25 years. You know, a lot of us are renters. The yep. rental market is massive in metro areas. So people are buying a sofa with maybe only the thought that they're going to keep that for two to three years. They're probably renting. They might move to a new apartment and then they want to buy a new sofa. So we do cater to that market, definitely. And do you do what um, appliances online do? Because I've had Johnny Winnie in here a couple of times and, and what appliances online will do is they'll say, well, you buy the the sofa, or not sofa in their case is appliance, but you buy the appliance, we'll bring the appliance to you, unpack it for you, and take your old appliance away. Yes. Because it is a fucking hassle. <laughs> if you, I mean, if you're left with a, a sofa, for example, what the hell do you do with it? Yeah. You've got to ring up Airtasker to come and get rid of it for you, then you've got to be home, stay home from work, and the dude doesn't turn up, or it doesn't fit in the lift, or you've got to help them cut yeah. it out because they come on their own. Yeah, Scott can I mean, feel this one. He's, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, uh, so what's your pro- proposition? So we have two delivery um, standard premium. So one will just drop the product to you and you guys can look after it then. You pay a bit more. We'll um, unbox, place in the room you want, take away your rubbish, but generally not existing furniture. Um, and two reasons for that is one, just logistically, you can't put a massive three-seater sofa back onto your delivery truck and try to continue your deliveries. Um, and two, generally they've got value. So people will actually try to sell it on Gumtree for a couple hundred bucks, um, you know, upcycle it somehow because uh, otherwise it's, you know, furniture, it's a tough thing. You can't really recycle furniture very easily um, and it'll just, you know, we don't really want to just end up in landfill or something. So um, generally people just try to on-sell it to on a gum tree or a marketplace sort of environment. It just sits in a land room for six months. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the other thing, in a more business point of view, it's extremely expensive to actually properly dispose of Two and a three it's, seater. It's, it's, a massive, right? it's massive product. You're not yeah. talking about a phone or an iPad or something. Where you, do you dispose of it? Where would you? Like at the tip, I guess. Yeah, well, there's, there are recycling centres that do it, but, you know, it's a big yeah, fee. Yeah, you to, have to pay them. Yeah, you've got either fabric or leather, you've got timber, you've got metal springs, you've got foam. Um, like there's a lot of different components of a, of a product that don't bode well with, you know, ending up in rubbish. <laughs> so, 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 so you obviously then, um, from what you're just saying then, Dave, is that you're – your reputation and your brand has changed from where it was in the 80s. It's now yeah, you, it's quite targeted. Yeah. Yep. For like furniture is fashion. It's just a different type of fashion. So where... That's interesting, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like people are very house proud, especially Australians. We love being outdoors, but we love have people over to our house to entertain. So furniture... You didn't mind, I fucking hate it. I hate people coming to my house. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> missus loves it, but yeah, not so much me. Um, <laughs> 
Therefore, I love it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I'm learning. Um, I don't have a missus. It's easy not to have a missus. Yeah, maybe. Um, but uh, at my age, anyway. <laughs> Fair enough. But furniture, you know, we. we 20 years ago, we were selling timber pine, really basic, lower-end product. And over the last 15 years, we've made a big conscious effort. And a lot has come through our buyers. Our, our style of our buyers and product designers have really brought us up from a, a lower-end furniture retailer to a middle to upper. Is that, is that to reflect... Is that reflect Australian taste, or is that just just a different part of the market you're going to go for? Two, more money, more margin. Yeah, what, two uh, things. There's obviously a lot more um, propensity to for for revenue, yeah. um, but then you also have the guys like IKEA coming in, yeah. who you know you just can't compete with those guys at that yeah, lower, t- you know, the entry yeah. level furniture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we said, no, you know, we want to make good quality furniture that's good value. Customers are going to pay a little bit more, but they're going to get good bang for buck, um, and they, you know, the product of ours they can have for. 10, 15 years. Yeah. Um, there's no no issue with that. So, okay, we're talking about um, features. So how do you get the Sweaty Betty mob to build your brand for you? I mean, what are they doing for you? Tell me. I mean, how do you tell people about the Oz, Oz design brand? I'm like... That's, yeah, one thing that we... Because there's a crowded marketplace, as you just said. Just, and then yeah, IKEA just, you know... They just, eats, it's eats IKEA. You, they eats just, everything. Yeah. You know, like... Uh, and Freedom, you know, they're out there banging on all the time too. Yeah. Uh, who owns Freedom, by the way, these days? Uh, Steinhoff, Steinhoff, so a big public company from public, yeah. South Africa. So they've got yeah. big budgets. Yes. yes. Uh, it's, it's interesting. We're probably the one of the, or might actually be the biggest privately owned furniture retailer in Australia. Then you've got, you know, Harvey Norman and those other, Nick Scarley, those sorts of guys. Well, Nick Scarley, how much money do they spend on advertising? It's ridiculous. A lot. I mean, crazy. Like, is this time of year? I think it's tens of tens of millions. <laughs> a yeah, lot yeah, more yeah. than we do, that's for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, it's yeah, interesting. They're to school with my, their kids, these kids went to school yeah, with my kids. Yeah, yep. yeah, I think They so. know their mates, but, uh, and you see that they bring those girls into the ads that we... Doesn't hurt. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> an unusual ad to me. Like, just, they've got their marketing campaign to really locked down. Yeah, yeah. yeah, well, I was going to, because I was just trying to, well, I was going to ask you, like, the amount of money you've got to spend on advertising, do yeah. you, is, that sounds horrifically so we, we high. We have a fixed, we have a small percentage of our revenue we put back into marketing. Right. So it's actually, uh, you know, a fixed percentage every year. And for your franchisees? For all of it. So we we have, what is it, seven yeah, franchisees remaining. Seven franchisees. Right. We actually ourselves own the remaining stores. Right, so we okay. have 33 stores. Yeah sort of east coast of Australia, um, opening a few more at the moment. And then we have seven franchisees, so they own and operate okay, separately. But you allocate a part of your gross revenue to the, uh, as an advertising budget? Yes. yes. And, and out of interest, how do you, how do you advertise? Do you, do you use social or do you more digital these days or is it more towards mainstream TV, radio, television? Yeah, so because we're quite a visual product, you need to see our product to actually appreciate, you know, that's actually a really nice bookcase or, you know, sofa. We do, we're going a lot into digital and and social at the moment, big pushes on Instagram and Pinterest, that sort of thing. Um, We use radio quite a lot for, to create urgency around promos when we're on sale. Yep. Um, Call to action. Yeah, Yeah, call to action. Call to action. Exactly. And then a lot of uh, print catalogs, magazines. We do a lot of like lookbooks when different seasons and new products come in and out. Um, yeah, because we find it it works best when customers can see our product rather than you know hear about oh Oz Design Furniture on the radio. We do, and do they have uh, expos here? Yeah, we do down, down in Melbourne. Yep. Yeah, so it's, it's usually a lot smaller over here, though. It's usually for the manufacturers. Though. Oh, that's for manufacturers. Oh, yeah. so not, for not, not, not for people just wandering around saying, "Oh, we're going to just bought a new house. We're going to start putting no, out new furniture." Like no, no, it's for yeah, the manufacturers in Australia, which we you know we still buy a fair bit of Australian-made 
product and sell it in our stores. Yeah, that's um, a particularly important part of our product range. Actually. Yeah, and I never got a chance to ask um, Scott, what, what I know what Dave, your role is. What's your role then? So I actually look after our importing arm and our sort of warehouse and logistics side of the business. Right, so so the operations more, yeah, more than exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so we've got front end and back end sort of space. Yeah. So, so got, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's sort of what your father and uncle did. Yeah, a little bit. Originally, yeah. but you've now split between two, two brothers. Yeah, so Dave talks a lot more with our stores, um, you know, what products can we get for you? What, what do our customers want? Um, whereas I'm the sort of the back end a little bit, the engine room. Make sure you deliver. Yeah, yeah getting, exactly. getting the product to customers on time, you know, die for it, delivered in full on time. So not, where not to now for Oz Design? So like, I mean, uh, you, got, you guys are going to sell it to a list public company or what, what are you guys going to do? What's the deal? What, what would you do? I mean, you're in your late 20s. Um, what do you reckon should happen? Oh, it's a, it's a tough keep one. expanding? Yeah, 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 for sure. So we, we want to expand as, as quickly as possible. To, well, so what, what, what numbers? Safely, though. Yeah, that's what, key. What numbers? I mean, do, you, do companies like yours, you, you have to borrow money to expand your business or do you rely well, on retained earnings? Interestingly, we are a completely debt-free company, so mm. we're, we're very calculated in the way we expand. So we've only three years ago, we are probably at 25 stores, so we've opened three, four, five stores over the last few years just out of, you know, retained profits, which has been great. Um, and we're looking to continue that into the next few years. Um, we have two in the pipeline. We're looking to break into South Australia. So that's exciting in the next couple of months. We'll What's your biggest threat, though? What do, what do, what do you see? You're young blokes. I mean, you online honest. would have to be the biggest yeah, threat. So online, how, 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 how is market? that a threat? Because I'll be honest, I'll be honest with you, right? Mm. I see online, I, I can go and have a look at a, I mean, I did, I went and had a look at a sofa. I'm, I'm not familiar, I just was looking at it because I knew you guys coming mm, in and yep. I thought... I wouldn't buy something online because you've got to go and sit you in want it for to sit a start. On it, don't yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I don't want to feel it, <laughs> sit on it. Yeah. I want to actually look at it because I can tell you now, they take photographs of these things that look wonderful. Yep. So it's and all about the omni-channel and experience. And you go there and it's only, you know, it's 500 deep and you, mm. you're sort of sitting forward and, yes. you, you know, like whatever. Or it's just feel out comfortable. Yeah. Or it's not, or they say it's 2.2, but you don't really know how big 2.2 is. Like, I mean, I know you do, <laughs> you but you don't. Yeah, yeah. Is, two, is that going to fit in the lift? Is it going to fit in the room? Is it like, yeah, like 20 years ago, we had a marketing campaign called Bums on Seats or something, like before our time. And it was literally, you know, come in, sit on our sofa and you know, see how comfortable it actually is. Don't look at it on a photo. Um, and that's one of our saving grace with online becoming such a big part of the way people buy these days is that they want to, yeah, they need to touch it, see what it feels like, how comfortable it is, what does it look like. Because it's a big investment too. Yeah. It's not really quite a commodity. It's not like buying a, no. a handbag or a you know a, a razor or a mobile phone or yeah. something like sunglasses or something you've it's done. A couple grand, pretty You quick. bought before and you know exactly what you're buying. You mm. just want to buy, get the cheapest price and get it delivered. Mm. It's there's there's a big difference between the two. It's it's not an impulse type buy. You, you no, think no, you're going to look at a few places first. Yeah. So I guess maybe the online thing could be, but it, the, its fulfillment process is a bit. Also, you don't know if it's going to be delivered. When it's going to be delivered. Delivered, you know, who's mm. going to fucking deliver it? Like, it's, it's, that's all a bit of a lottery, that one. Yeah, like trying to get a three-seater sofa from here to Darwin, for example. We've done it before, but it costs a lot. Um, and, yeah, it's a long way to send a piece of furniture, which isn't the most robust kind of product to be shipping halfway around Australia. So so online, yeah, what else is what else is a threat to you? More Somebody sort of opening up more stores? Because store, opening stores, I would have thought, too, is also a hard thing 
for not you because you already got there, you got your footprint going, but for someone new to come in the marketplace, that, that's a big cost. I would say, yeah, I would imagine there's a, quite a bit of dough mm-hmm. for every one you open up because you've got to you got to get you've got to do a fit out. You've got you've got your upfronts around, yeah. around your leasing. Um, you're entering into long term commitment. Yeah, and also you've got to fit the joint out. You've got to get the inventory and stock. Yeah, yeah. it's a Cost a Staff. small house and to it, open a store. Yeah, and you've got to fill it, fill it up with people. Yeah, yes. and there's yeah. ongoing costs. And then you've also got to start marketing and advertising it mm. to tell everyone. But you're lucky you already got a name. But if I'm setting up a new uh, furniture business called Boris Furniture or something, um, you know, I've got to start advertising. Well, well you know, what's Boris doing with furniture? Like, yeah. I've got to start telling the story. Yeah. And I've got to do it locally and it's expensive. So that's probably not really a. a no, like, we're, we're 40 years old this year. So we mm-hmm. started in 1979. Um, so. We've had 40 years of building ourselves and our brand. And one thing, you know, we always want to continue to do is build our brand. But for new entrants into our market, which is a really established market, it would be very tough. So they, they it'll happen, but I don't think that's a big Maybe it's not going to be new Maybe it's going to be the incumbents. Yeah. So, um, you know, I guess what they could do is... The, in terms of threats, the incumbents could just go really hard and try and out-advertise you, outspend you. Yes, and also mm. cutting margins is yeah, is pretty tough. Price war. So yes, like rent. You know, we're in the large format retail, so you, we have big stores, and you pay per square meter. So yeah. we're not in these small fifty square meter showrooms. Yeah, you know, our biggest showroom is twenty four hundred square meters. Yeah, so the rent is really high. So yeah. if some other, say a a consortium of of investors or something come in with a furniture brand and run at super low margins to buy market share. That's you, very you can't difficult. Compete on price. It's very yeah. difficult because you have to have, our, you know, our, our prices are where they are because we need to be able to afford rent and wages and everything else that goes on. I, I don't reckon. You know business. what? I, reckon, I don't think it's going to happen because then they're going to be competing mm. against IKEA, and that's just too hard. Mm. Yeah. And so when, I, I maybe a pretty, pretty good, a pretty safe. So what are your opportunities yeah. then? I mean, like, like, where can you take this? Just continue to grow. We have Australian-made product, so not a lot of other retailers our size have Australian-made. They're 100% vertically integrated, so they import all their own product. We import maybe a bit over half of our product, and then the rest of it's Australian-made, so you know, made down in Melbourne, in Sydney, um, and that gives us a unique selling proposition, but it means our, our margin requirements are a bit higher because uh, we don't get that vertical margin on all our products. Mm. So, yeah, as Dave was saying, if a new entrant came in, it'd, it'd be a bit of a shake-up. But our opportunities are to continue growing. We're only on the East Coast, so Adelaide will be exciting for us. Um, then there's a lot of filling in. So some of the bigger retailers have 50 to 60 stores around Australia. So we're at 35. So we've got we've got room to continue to grow in Australia. Sounds like you're like, it sounds like you're a critical mass too. That's good. Uh, uh, yeah. Look, I mean, I love to talk about these things forever, especially... To two young enthusiastic blokes. I, I really enjoyed talking to you guys about. Um, I mean, what's first? The thing that gets me straight up is the amount of value two young blokes who've been brought up in the business bring to a business like Oz Design. Mm. Your enthusiasm and your uh, sort of your agility in the way you're thinking. I mean, yes. it's pretty cool. Um, and your, your parents should be pretty happy about that. And I'm sure your late uncle would be extremely happy. And even John Locke, who sort of founded the, the company, he should be happy. At least his place has got longevity. Mm. Um, my gut feeling is that um, you're in pretty safe hands, or the business is in pretty safe hands. So well done. So. I really yeah. appreciate you coming in today. Thank you. And uh, I wish you the best of luck in defeating any challenges. Yep. But more importantly, from my point of view, kicking goals. 100%. Yeah, thank Dave, you very much. Scott, thanks very much. Thanks, thank Mark. You. Cheers.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.